Hi guys, welcome back to A Pinch of Prevention. A Pinch of Prevention is a podcast associated with Evansville's very own Prevention Youth Council. Our mission is to uplift the voices of teens by providing them with opportunities to advocate for themselves and their communities and promote healthy interpersonal relationships. I'm Nicole. And I'm Rupa, and today we have with us Karuna Pundit from the Hindu Temple. Could you please introduce yourself and tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Um, well, uh, my name is Karuna Pandit, as you said. I live in Newburgh, and I'm part of uh, the Hindu community here. Um, <laughs> that's pretty much it. <laughs> Thank you for joining us today. This is the fourth episode of our religious series in which we interview people associated with different religions within the community. Our goal with this series is to create an open conversation between religious groups and increase the connectedness of our community. So, a little bit more on to like the social topics now. How do you think that within Hinduism, topics like healthy relationship and consent are talked about? Do you think that they're talked about enough or at all? And do you think that these are important topics that religion should be discussing within their communities? You know, like I was saying, uh, saying I'm not that much uh, in. I'm, yeah. Actually, I'm not involved with the youth group. Mm-hmm. But I think you sh- uh, indirectly, I think it is taught because when I was doing the school with the kids, but they were also not that big. I think middle school pretty much was it. And in fact, I didn't see you <laughs> because you were involved in another class that time, and your age kids, right? Mm-hmm. So. Before that, I used to, yeah, I used to actually, before that, have kids uh, in my youth group were actually the older kids. And we we didn't specifically dis- discuss these uh, social issues, but we did go through Bhagavad Gita. We never completed because kids kept graduating and mm-hmm. leaving. So in Bhagavad Gita, it touches on a lot of the social things. And it actually, the way it is, uh, it, it puts so much self-confidence in you. And it makes you take the responsibility. So I think at the core, uh, what it teaches should help you with those. Because at one point, I forgot to bring my note. I used to kind of listen different, listen to different things and read and make notes to explain to the kids. And uh, it says, like, it's um, you are the most important thing. See, everything has importance because of you. It's like, you know, um, let's say um, anything which is like a, you like playing something or you like someone. So that person is very important, right? But that person is very important to you. And the, because of you, that importance is there. Do you think I would feel like the same, same about that particular person? It may be somebody, somebody else I feel that way about. So basically, you are giving importance. You are giving that status, that importance to the person. So remember, in that, you're also very important. So at any point, you should not forget, but you give the meaning. And when you start thinking of... I'm not, and I'm not trying to say of like you develop some false pride or something, but always remember, it's you who is giving meaning to whether it's a thing. I love my phone. I can't live without it. You know, and I always want to have like the best. I actually don't because I have the technology. I don't know how to use it. <laughs> so I, I, you know, some people like, you know, every day the iPhone, a new iPhone comes there in line standing to get it. Right? 
it's not iPhone per se which has that importance because I don't care. I don't go stand in line. I'll, I'll probably get a new one when this quits working. But for them, that's important. So who is giving that importance to that iPhone or a computer or this or even to another person? You are. So you have to remember that you are giving meaning to that thing or that or that. So don't lose yourself. You know, first you have to respect yourself. And you are the most important thing for yourself. At the same time, you know, you have to... It, that's not the only thing it ta It also talks about. We consciousness, how you have to... You know, in the 12th chapter, uh, Lord Krishna talks about who are very dear to him because Arjuna is at that time standing uh, in a battlefield ha trying to have a war with, uh, you know, not trying to have a war, but uh, it was a war between, and he sees his kins and uncles and aunts and all that. He's not aunts, uncles and cousins and all that. And he doesn't want to fight because, you know, it's like, I would rather not have anything if I have to kill my own. It's, it's, it's better off I just go and I, I become a, a renunciant. So Lord Krishna tells that that's not good, that's escape. You can't do that because you're not fighting this war to get land or this or that. You're fighting this war because those rulers are not righteous and women have no respect in their kingdom or, uh, or um, you know, other the people who are weak and poor are, you know, not happy. They're being taken advantage. That's what you're fighting for. So, you know, there are other things he talks to. It's like, you know, you have to do your duty what is your duty, and you have to, then he talks about a lot of, you know, self, uh, it talk, talks about, you know, that you are immortal, you're a consciousness, you're not this body or mind, and da-da-da, so there's all that stuff too, but it does tell you that, you know, you give meaning to things around you because of your respect and attachment to them. In that respect and attachment, you cannot forget yourself. So in, if, if I am told that over and over, I think I will always keep in mind, like, you know, not to forget myself or my dignity. So it's, it's taught indirectly, but I, I never, I, I can confess, I have never talked directly about this. To my kids, yes, I'm, uh, you know, to my daughter mostly, not, not that much to my son, but uh, I haven't talked uh, about this um, to the kids I was doing my Bhagavad Gita with. So. Well, I still think that's like a very interesting perspective. Like you have the power, you are yes. in control, and I think that's you are giving that power to the other person and the other thing too. Mm -hmm. It's coming from you, not from them. It's not inherently their power. You give the power to that iPhone, that you know, or the iPhone vendor, <laughs> <laughs> or the other person. Mm -hmm. Yes. So, could you explain the roles of women within the religion? So here's the thing, there's one in the religion and there's a culture. So in India, if you see culturally, uh, then, because this is, this is, I think, one of the oldest, or I could probably even say the oldest religion, maybe Judaism, maybe come, comes close, but this is, uh, they're saying our, you know, Vedas date back to this, but you know, there was an oral tradition before that, they never, they memorized them, they didn't write them. So it is really old, and when things get thousands and thousands and thousands of years, not things, but ideas, they do get a little bit 
twisted. So uh, in between what happened, like in some of the areas, uh, some of the places, women were not empowered. And it's like, you know, so they, they lost their power. But if you, ju if you look at religion, even when you look at Vedas, like I, the, the last part, the Vedanta I was talking about, the last philosophical part of the Vedas, Vedanta, they consist of these, um, they're in poetic form, but at the same time, they're conversations between student and the spiritual teacher. And some of them are kind of like stories, where through the stories, they're giving you the supreme knowledge. So many of the like in Brihadaranyaka or some other, uh, I can't remember because I've kind of, I didn't prepare as much, I didn't go and look back at the names, but some of the Upanishads, they have, uh, there is this, um, uh, there, there was this saint, Gargi, a female saint, who was very, she's mentioned in a lot of Upanishads where she's, uh, uh, there used to be these spiritual debates about the fundamental questions. And she was, many times she would be the person who was questioning and was the judge in those. So she was very respected, like um, a saint or a seer. They used to call them seers, you know, who seeked the truth. And they didn't work or anything. The people who were grihasthas like us, who actually, there are two paths in Hinduism you can choose. You can be a renunciant or you can be a seer, a seeker of truth. You renounce everything. You like. You you are not bound to. You don't have to get married. You don't have to work. Your single pointed uh, purpose in life. Your your aim in life is to seek truth. And they wear clothes like that, orange. So they you know they don't uh, they don't have families. They they actually renounce their even the families which are there. They don't get married. They're just focused focused on that. And actually, the grihasthas, people like me, or her parents who are married, they have families, they have jobs and everything, they support them. So there are ashrams and all that, so we are support to, supposed to support them. So somebody has to take care of them. They need to still eat and, you know, have a roof over their head. So, so she was one of those seers, you know, the saints. And then there, there have been many female saints, many female, even in the, even in the, um, like, you know, recent times, there was Ramakrishna Paramahansa was a very famous saint. His wife, Sharda Ma, Mami's mother, was also a famous saint. So, and then there was Anandamai Ma, whom people loved. And she, you know, she was, she even, um, there are different, like, even very mystical stories about her. But she was one of them. Then there was Mother Mira. And there's, there's many of, many female saints. In the religion, though, somehow I was kind of amazed because this question was asked to me by some many years ago, too. So I started looking into the women in Hinduism, like women in India who were saints and all that. And then a friend of mine who is actually a Christian, Mithila Peter, she came, I think your mom may know you were a little kid that time. She she actually, she is from, uh, like, she's born into Christianity. Christian, her dad converted, and she's Christian, but she actually conducted, uh, she knows a lot, so, and she, we had uh, a festival of Ganesh Chaturthi, and she came here, and she helped with stories and all that. She's done a lot of research also into divine something, you know, she was in uh, UCLA, I think, in um, uh, journalism school, something. So she, she um, you know, she gave me a book about you know, saints of India, women saints of India. And I was surprised. So I have that book at home. Um, 
maybe I should have brought it. <laughs> so, but somehow I have, I did not see many women priests. So that always intrigued me and I was looking. Then I found there is a, a school in Karnataka actually in South India, not, mm -hmm. I mean, closer to where her parents are from than mine. Um, but uh, there's a whole school now who trains uh, women priests. And then I saw uh, one of my friends, they had some ceremony in India and they had called this all these women priests and they sang and uh, those stotras and all that. It was very interesting. So that was my first experience a few years ago when my friend showed me that and I'm like, huh, they're women priests now. Mm -hmm. So maybe they were in the past too, but uh, I hadn't seen them, but it's when I started looking, I did find. So, but there are very, very few women priests, uh, but female saints are, you know, and there's one female saint who actually heads the Gita Ashram, which is a huge, huge ashram, like a organization in India. They do a lot of charity work, social work and all, and but it's mainly centered around Bhagavad Gita, the study of Bhagavad Gita. And she's the head of that. They call her Guru Ma, like spiritual teacher, mother, you know, spiritual mother, teacher. So, so Guru Ma, she comes here almost like every year, I don't know, at least every yeah. other year. And she gives like lectures on Gita, like every day she may stay, she has stayed here a whole month sometimes. We have our friends, she comes and lives with them. And so yes, there are a lot of spiritual teachers who are um, females, but fewer priests. And in, and in Hinduism, priest and spiritual teacher like I know with uh, with the pastors and with rabbis you know people go to um, them as their teachers and to seek advice it's not necessarily like that in Hinduism priests are very good and they're experts at performing rituals because they've studied that ritualistic part of Vedas they know how to perform every ritual it's a wedding or it's a I think he was doing a namkaran which is like giving name to a baby or, or there is the Agyopavitam. There are different, many, many rituals um, which happen in the course of people's lifetime. So they are expert in those, but people don't necessarily go for advice or, uh, uh, you know, for spiritual something to the priest. So I've seen fewer priests, but many spirit, spiritual teachers who are women. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's interesting, even though that most of the priests are male, mm -hmm. uh, all the Hindu, like, Sunday schools and stuff I've been to, it's always been a female teacher. Right, and That's also, yeah, yeah it's, it is female teachers, mm -hmm. mostly. And also, like I was telling you, when we had a festival in India, my mom led all the pujas, not my dad. Here in my home, I don't know, at your home, who does? Sarita mm -hmm. does? Or it's both of them, most both of the time, them, right? yeah. Most of the time, in, in our, my in-law's place too, my mother-in-law knew more about rituals and she conducted and she was telling us, okay, now you do this, you do this, you do mm -hmm. this. In my home, my mom did. In our home, I do, uh, yeah. you know, guide like, okay, now you need to do this or something. So I'm, I lead. Also in any, uh, any ritual, like even when we do, yesterday we had a Satanarayan Katha here or something else. I don't know, Rupa, if you noticed that your mother is the one who lights the lamp. Mm -hmm. So in in we in our in our rituals we write light. Oh, I'm going over. No, no okay. Good. No, you're not. You're not. You're not. <laughs> so we no. go, we have rituals. Okay. So we have rituals where you light a lamp and an incense stick. So lighting a lamp is the first thing we do in any worship, and the woman of the house is always the one who lights the lamp. Mm -hmm. So. 
and, and, and lighting of the lamp is like spreading um, light or knowledge and all that. So the woman of the, the mother always likes that. So that's, I think that's very, uh, some, that has, that says something too about mm -hmm. the place of women in a family and yeah. religion. So. Okay, so um, we haven't really touched on this yet, but within Hinduism, how do you think like domestic abuse and marriage are like handled or addressed? Actually, I don't know. There's like, um, I, I can't talk about how it's addressed. Mm -hmm. But if you talk only the religious uh, aspect of it, it should not happen. Mm -hmm. Because, um, you know, like mother, if, if mother is like a, is like a God uh, to children, like they say, you know, even in us, mother and father are God. Other thing is when, I remember in my wedding too, when the boy and girl after the marriage, uh, not after, the, like in India it continues for a few days, the wedding, so the procession goes from the um, guys, you know, the uh, the groom's place, and then they do, they have already done certain rituals, then they do some rituals together, they do the, you know, the, um, and then they come back with the daughter-in-law, like the whole, a uh, lot of the family members go with them too, so they go to the bride's home, they, they do all these rituals, you know, the wedding rituals and all, and then they bring the bride back, and the mother of the groom and many of the older women or even the younger, they are all waiting for to receive them. And when they do, then they worship them, both of them. So they, at, even at my parents' place, I remember my husband and I, we were worshipped and they worship them as Vishnu and Lakshmi. When they come back, they always say they, when a woman of the house is Griha Lakshmi, Griha means home, Lakshmi I told you, the one who brings abundance. So a woman of the house is Griha Lakshmi, the one who is bringing abundance to the family. So when I, to my in-laws place, when, uh, you know, from my parents place, when we did all the rituals and the whole procession came back and the bride and groom are standing there. And then my mother-in-law, she did our arti. Arti is the same thing when uh, Pandit, the priest does to the, you know, they light this lamp and everything and they uh, do the puja. So they actually do the worship of the groom and bride as Vishnu and Lakshmi. And then the 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 daughter-in-law, uh, the girl, is brought into the family with a special ritual where she uh, inverts a thing full of grains in the house, which is like bringing food and abundance. Like, you know, remember in thousands of years back, that was big part of the abundance, you know, abundant, abundant food. And then she is invited into the house as the Griha Lakshmi, the, the bringer of abundance to the home. So if that is the, if that's, if you remember that, and if you honor that, there should actually not be domestic abuse, you know, but not everybody does it. And then it comes to like how culturally it got corrupted where people, mm -hmm. start, men start thinking, you know, they, they are more important or something, you know, like that. But, uh, you know, and then they could get away with all this stuff. So that's more of a cultural stuff. If you really follow the religion, there shouldn't be domestic abuse, but nothing is ever perfect. Um, but um, I, I don't know how they, I mean, it's handled more in the law, mm -hmm. like in the, 
way rather than going to a spiritual leader. But yeah, if you, if there are people who have uh, adopted a spiritual leader, like if somebody wants to follow a spiritual leader, they go and uh, you know they make them their guru, like kind of like adopt them. Then yeah, people do go and discuss their personal problems with them. Sp their spiritual teachers, they do you know discuss all that. So that's where it would come as a religion. Like they do go. Uh, just like here, they may go to a pastor or a rabbi. Yes, they go to their spiritual guru and they discuss that. But in the religion is, uh, itself, there is not a mechanism. But if you actually follow the religion, it should not even happen. So following on the same path, um, do you feel that social issues such as sexual harassment are talked about? Or is it kind of following the same thing like it it's should not happen it, in yeah the, within the culture. I, I know it's it's kind of sad like I, because it should not happen but it does happen yeah. so maybe we should kind of talk uh, about that but again uh, you know I mean it's it's so difficult and I get stuck too because I have two kids also and I'm like how you know we don't live in a perfect world or not everybody in India I mean like like I was when I was in India, most of the people, they say they're Hindus, but they don't know what it teaches. They don't know what values you should have in order to even be a practicing Hindu. They're just born into it and they call themselves that, but they don't follow most of the values which it teaches. So, I mean, you know, again, I think we have to empower our girls. I believe we have to empower our girls. And even the... Uh, even the government, after something really, really bad happened a few years ago, and actually I wasn't aware of it because I didn't listen to news, and I go into interfaith meetings, and one of my journalist friends asked, um, <clears throat> you know, okay, so you talk about people, you know, women's place, but this happened a few months ago. How do you explain that? Uh, I'm so, um, you know, I heard about it from a friend. I had heard about it by then, but... Um, I'm like, it's, it's more like cultural. The religion doesn't ch teach that, but people don't necessarily follow. Uh, it's in all religions, in whether it's a Jew or a Christian or uh, a Hindu or a Sikh or anybody. I mean, we don't... So there are certain people, they call themselves that, but they don't follow it, or, or Islam, you know. So we don't follow the values. So that's that's what it is. And and we need to empower our women. I really, really believe we need to empower our women. And the government has made certain things where, where, you know, they have even made rules like, you know, when a woman is going, they take, if they ask for a cab and it's sun is down, the cab driver cannot refuse to give them a ride. Because it happens sometimes. They're like, mm -hmm. okay, they're ready to go home. They'll only take... I've been in India and I'm going next week. Like Saturday, I'm going mm -hmm. again. So sometimes, you know, you ask a cab driver, oh, can you, we need to go there, can you drop? Uh, can you take us there? And they're like, hmm, it's night. I, I'm going to go home, so I'll only take people who are tours. You know, yeah. So they refuse. They can refuse you, right? Most of the time, it's okay. If it's sundown and the woman is alone, they cannot do that. It's offense now. So same for the auto rickshaw drivers, they can't refuse a, a woman. Uh, and then uh, even many other things, you know, which have become have become a law to protect women. But I think women have to get empowered too. You know, mm -hmm. if there's a domestic abuse, they need to speak up. Mm -hmm. They need to go, uh, you know, they need to be, um, they, they need to bring it out. A lot of times it's always like, 
you know, just keep the family together or do this. And that happens in India, like, oh, my kids are young or what will happen or this. And, uh, and a lot of times what happens is women are not financially mm. uh, independent. That's a big part of why they cannot, why they don't, because they're scared. You know, and then they're scared of the, uh, like in India sometimes, you know, what will people say? So that all that kind of stuff. So we need to kind of get rid of it. It's like, mm. you know, doesn't matter. Uh, you have to do what is right. Um, and you can't uh, disrespect yourself. Um, so you need to just do what you need to do. So I think we need to educate the women that they need to uh, be empowered. Mm -hmm. And I think the religion, um, maybe if properly taught, uh, and given that you know, giving that self confidence to the girls, hopefully they will have that have that power to, uh, you know, manifest that you know that have that power to kind of um, do this you know, think in a way where you know they're uh, they're more um, expressive about these things. So and that is happening. That is happening. You know, in India now. So I go there frequently, so they are, women are more empowered, they do come out and they'll say, in fact, <laughs> some of the, uh, some, like they've made laws, actually the harassment you're talking about, they've made laws now that if, if a woman um, actually goes and says that like her boss or somebody harassed them, the boss doesn't even have a say. And there was a movie, uh, last year when I went to India, uh, not la it wasn't last year it was before COVID <laughs> yeah it was in February yeah. it was after in that ma I remember in March is all everything shut down so mm -hmm. it, I, in February I was in India and my niece and nephew I was with my sister and they're like you know they call me Masi then my mom sister so you have to watch this movie it's article 377 or something and in that they they were touching that because now What's happened is if, if a woman goes and complains like my boss harassed me or he did this, the boss doesn't even have a say. So they're saying like, you know, it, it, it's gotten, it has been taken advantage of or whatever. So but now it's like the, even the government is doing more to empower the women. So uh, to give them, the, uh, you know, so people can just do something and get away with it. Yeah. But then there's always plus and minus to everything. They say everything in this world is a dual-edged sword. Mm -hmm. You know, you can always, uh, you know, with the nuclear power, it's it's a beautiful, you know, it's a it's a good thing. But you can also make a bomb with it. Mm -hmm. So that is interesting, though, that even somebody of like, you know, power such as a boss, like even even then, if someone has said something about them, like. There are no questions asked. You yeah, know? no questions. That's very interesting. To me. That that's that became a law, but it's, you know, hopefully you know it's properly used so yes. that nobody yeah. can test it and it just has to be put in the uh, you know. <laughs> yeah. That was an interesting movie, though. Mm -hmm. You know. What was it somewhere. called again? I think. Uh, let me see if it's Article Three Seven Seven or something. That's the that's the name of the amendment. Um, I saw that movie and I was like. You know, the person gets convicted, 
but they later show that you know the evidence was even inconsistent uh, inconsistent mm -hmm. some inconsistencies there but he had no say yeah it's section 377 it is section okay yeah yeah it's an interesting movie if you mm -hmm. if you want to watch it sometime yeah okay so we're almost at the end but how do, what do you think your religion's stance on lgbtq plus communities are or like how do they handle them or i um the only thing I have ever seen is the transgender, mm -hmm. uh, in transgender people in India when I was growing up, and they have their own kind of communities, um, you know, and uh, I mean they're openly known as uh, that, and you know, in fact, if there's a wedding or something, they always come to your home, and you have to gift them what they ask, mm -hmm. or they will harass you. <laughs> so that's a, that's a custom though. People happily give, and they ask for their blessings. If a child is born, they come to your house and they bless the child and you give them gifts. That's, that's just a it's part of custom because it's how you, they get the support from mm -hmm. people. So, But other than that, but it's not essentially looked upon as a something very respected, but that's the custom. Nobody kind of, nobody judges. They are what they are. They come and when you have a baby born or a wedding or anything good, they come and then you are supposed to honor their request, and they—they, I think they're probably good enough that they say see the status and they'll probably demand only that much. Mm -hmm. Probably, mm -hmm. I remember when we got married, they came to our home too. Um, so it's like okay, so you have to gift us this, mm -hmm. or we won't go. We'll just stay here. <laughs> so people honor that, uh, you know, and they take the blessings. But uh, I—I don't know about LGBTQ how it's handled, or. Again, if you really, really follow Hinduism, you go into the depth of it, you go into the philosophy, they say that we are not even the body and mind. I mean, not even the mind, not body, not the mind. Your consciousness, consciousness doesn't have a gender. So if there is no gender, uh, all these questions are, they don't even exist, right? But in real life, they do exist. But I, I... You know, I don't know, like, within the religion, how they're handled. Mm -hmm. If if you truly follow the religion, you should, actually, in the religion, they say, ahinsa paramo dharma, which is non-violence, is the... Non-violence... I'll call you that. Non-violence is the, is the ultimate religion or faith, they say. And non-violence is not through just your body like you can't just say that okay I hit you so that's violent you can't do it by thought or words mm. so if you follow that um, non-violence you cannot be violent towards anybody even in your thoughts and your words and also uh, we we say that uh, you know there are Mahavakyas in Vedas um, there are Mahavakyas and they not yeah Tattvam uh, see, in there, some of the very famous, uh, like sayings, um, you know, these words like Tatvam Asi, you are that, or Aham Brahmasmi, I am the Brahman. Brahman is the vast consciousness which they say, which they call God, like the all pervading consciousness. You are that, you are part of that. So if I am that, you are that, you are, then the person who is part of the LGBTQ community is also that. And if he is that, if he is, uh, you know, 
part of that same God, then or or essential like the essence is that of God, then how can you be violent or disrespectful and not accept accepting of that person? You cannot. So if you're really following that the religion, it's out of the question to be disrespectful. But then culturally, it's a different thing because um, the gay rights were not there in India um, some years ago. So, But in the recent years, people have fought and they have rights now. I mean, now it's okay, but I mean, for several years they didn't because it's cultural. See, sometimes religion and culture has a divide. It's not always like... But if you really, if somebody is a Hindu, like saints don't differentiate, but people do. So, so although it's not directly addressed, the overall messages of the religion just have no tolerance for any of the things we're talking about, like the social issues. Although it's not like directly stated. Yeah. Yeah. But it's all, I mean, through uh, messages or through the, um, you know, through the teachings, it's relayed, but then, you know, it's not directly mm-hmm. talked about. And maybe... Uh, because these all these social issues um, are they many people you know in India even the constitution says just like in America like the religion and state or the laws or whatever is government is separate we India is a secular country it's not a Hindu country so the laws are different like laws are for people and they say that the social issues of like as a religion you follow it and you know if you of course if we do that then everybody everything would be okay we'll respect everybody love everybody they say the whole there's a saying Vasudeva Kutumbakam the whole world is one family uh, you know it's, it's God's family if we follow that nothing should happen but the thing is it we don't follow we say it but we don't follow so somehow it has to get integrated and more directly spoken, not just as messages, but actually as issues. The social issues have to be included, but I don't think they are yet. And I, you may, like, I don't know, in youth club and all, they dis- I, I didn't discuss with my youth club. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you uh, got into those discussions. So... No, not really, but I do agree. I feel like it's something that like we should be discussing more, and I think that was a common consensus we've came to mm-hmm. so far throughout all of our recordings that all the religions kind of hit there, but everyone thinks that we could be doing better as a community. Yeah, we beat around the bush, but yeah. we don't actually nail the issue. Yeah, it and seems like there's always room for more. Oh, there's, yeah. I yeah. think in, in, yeah, there's... In everything, really, more, yeah. Yeah, a lot more room for everything, so... Yeah, I think they should address that even, uh, I mean, even with the Sunday schools here or, mm-hmm. uh, or even in general, like, you know, I think uh, even in the temples, we never talk about social issues in temples, mm-hmm. but maybe they should say like, okay, so you are here, standing here, um, and you're, like, if you see the Vigrahas, our, you know, DTs, you see, you know, Radha and Krishna, you see Durga Ma on one side, you're worshipping that goddess, and in, of course in India, you know, Bollywood, the film industry mm-hmm. is pretty powerful, and they can get their message out, 
I think. So even on these issues of LGBTQ rights or gay rights and all, they, several movies were made in the past several years. So I think that probably got attention too. And uh, even with domestic abuse, several movies have been and that has caught attention. Similarly, you know, they, I mean, they sometimes do point out in some ways, like you go and you, you will pray to a, you know, women, uh, like a, a feminine form of goddess, but you come home and if you hit your, uh, or if you like verbally abuse your wife, what is the point, you know? So, but then again, we have in, even in modern, modern day, we have example where Ramakrishna Paramahansa, he, he's, uh, he was a saint, and I think he's from his, uh, Chimananda is from his lineage, or no, he's from Dayanand Saraswati's lineage. So his lineage is, have you ever heard of Swami Vivekananda? He actually came to America. You, you, you haven't heard? Mm -hmm. Great, great uh, Swami. So uh, he, Swami is like a renunciant, you know, seeker of truth. We okay. use that word. So Swami Vivekananda, who is probably one of the most famous, um, uh, you know, saints of India, probably in here because he actually came to America and he gave talks many places. So um, his guru, his spiritual teacher, Ramakrishna Paramahansa, when he, that time they used to get the married young, like so, he was already married and he wanted to be a renunciant, right? So he actually asked his wife, Shardama, um, because he said, like, I don't think I was born to be, like, entangled in household life or, you know, uh, marriage and all that. But I want to do this, take this path of life, but only if it's okay with you. If it's not, I'll accept this. Uh, and I'll live like that. But the thing is that not only she accepted that, she became a saint also. So they were both renunciants. They they lived there. They had, uh, you know, people who came to them. They, uh, you know. So so they, everybody just took them both as saints, like Shardama and they would, Swami Ramakrishna Paramahansa. So that kind of examples exist too. But then on the other extreme, there are people who call themselves Hindus, but they will even physically abuse their wives. That exists too. That is sad, but it exists in India. So. so these open conversations, you know, like that we're trying to increase in this podcast, do you see them as beneficial and specifically open conversations within other religions? Like, do you see having these like, open forms of communicating is like helpful to all or do you think oh, yeah. yeah I think so because I'm part of other we have a women interfaith group too I was gonna ask yeah. about that because oh, yeah. in our last podcast um Reverend Fleming um he is an interfaith group with like the rabbi mm -hmm. and I think Father Godfrey and and the yeah. and the the mosque yes exactly yeah. yes so well, that's that's one uh, and that came out of this other interfaith group, which was started by Tammy Gizelman in uh, University of Evansville, which I was part of also. Then Tammy actually moved to Nashville. She became the regional. She was the the new chapel at Ev University of Evansville. Mm -hmm. She was the chap. You know, she was the chaplain there. And then so she was. She got every. Well, we used to have a study group first, and then we had this, Tammy invited all of us, so we used to meet every month, the rabbi, and that's how I know uh, rabbi from that group, mm -hmm. and I know Kevin Fleming, mm -hmm. and Kevin Fleming's uh, daughter, I think, went with Anish, my son's um, 
she was in school with my son's signature. Mm. So he knows, even my son knows Kevin and Wendy. I know Kevin and Wendy, Kevin's wife. So, um, we, you know, we, we used to meet every month and, um, a couple of people from, uh, Dr. Shah, um, and, uh, another, you know, pediatrician from the mosque, uh, Dr. Arshad, Dr. Hussein. He used to, also come so we used to meet every month and we did mm-hmm. uh, some events and stuff interfaith events and all that you know all these people participated we even at university of evansville we had an event where everybody did their prayers and people came and joined the prayers and stuff like that so um and then uh kevin's wife uh, uh you know kevin fleming's mm-hmm. wife wendy and rabbi's wife i know both of them to gloria we all are part of a women interfaith now that's less formal. This was more formal because mm-hmm. we met in University of Evansville New Chapel every month, and we tried to do these interfaith events or stuff like that. And I will tell you that both of them were much more active than I was. I did help out, but not, uh, you know. So, um, and they're of course more powerful too because you know they're directly they have power and they directly interact with their congregations. I don't have a designated some kind of mm-hmm. portfolio like here, so. Um, but uh, our women interfaith group is much more informal and we still meet every month and we started meeting in person after COVID uh, and we just did it twice, once in um, Jane's, uh, Jane Langering's garden and then said, then in my home when the COVID, the Delta variant wasn't rampant, which was two months ago and then we have started doing the Zoom again. Mm-hmm. So every month we meet, we have women from mosques we have women, uh, Gloria from um, Rabbi's wife, mm-hmm. she uh, from the um, temple, uh, the Jew, Jewish synagogue. temple. Synagogue? Yes, yeah, synagogue. Sorry, <laughs> and then from here, I go and once in a while, if I have it at my home, I'll invite other women also. So yeah, there. that particular group, I really love the women interfaith because uh, the person who started it, she, um, Patty Easley, she just moved to California to be with her two sons and mm-hmm. they have little grandkids and all that. So Patty and Joe Easley was the one who started the other interfaith group. He's he's a, a retired pastor also. So uh, the women interfaith, we meet and we always pick these, um, you know, sometimes we're like 30, 35 women from all different faiths and even Christianity, they be, we are from different, you know, from Christ, different you know, denominations of Christianity, and then we are, you know, different other religions, mosque, uh, temple, all that. And then we pick issues, and sometimes we may have a reading too, mm-hmm. like before. So we pick issues and we discuss on them. So one time it was like abortion rights, one time it was, of course, uh, you know, and then um, different things. I think last time we ended up talking about... Uh, social um, responsibility or something they're different but sometimes they're like mostly they're social issues and sometimes related to religion religion too and then we have people who don't identify with any denomination too so so we all all of us and i love that group and uh, my journalist friend sarah corrigan she got me into it she doesn't drive as much anymore so she doesn't come but i'm always i will be always thankful to her so she got me uh, into this group and I love that group in between we were in um, Sarah used to write a relig- religion column in the Korean press when it still had an office in Evansville and then she started this thing where she 
had like she would write one week i would write one week dr shah from the um, mosque would write one week and, and uh, rabbi used to write sometimes uh, you know one week so we kind of even did that i think yeah rabbi was taking turns or not i don't know but he he we like um Kevin Fleming and Rabbi, there's, there's still, you know, they whenever there's something, we all kind of come up with a article. Uh, they are very active. They do a lot of work and you know try to get into the newspaper or other places so people actually get to you know see read it and see what's going on. So yeah, so I love that group too. Sometimes maybe Rupa can come too. Sometimes mm -hmm. people, you know, they bring their daughters too. I have. Yeah, I've seen a lot of friends, they bring their daughters. And next time I have at my home, maybe I will in October, just so you can come. Yeah, mom, so. we both love to be there oh, for kids. Yeah. Oh yeah, you should. I mean, we get we try to get all these younger women too, because we do talk about social, we do talk, we talk about all these issues mm -hmm. in our meetings, like, and also how our religion is relating to it, how we are addressing and what we can do to do a little bit better. Because mm -hmm. we are all women there. In fact, even our husbands cannot come <laughs> if they're at home. Yeah. Most of the time, you know, they're like in another room. I had to tell yeah. them, you stay in the basement until <laughs> we're done. Yeah. So. Yeah, that would be that. Sounds incredible. Yeah, that is we, interesting, actually, that there yeah, is an all women interfaith group. Right. And we go, like, we do it at different people's house. So we've done it uh, at uh, Rabbi's home. We've mm -hmm. done it. Uh, we've done it in the church with Wendy when Wendy hosted it at Kevin mm -hmm. Fleming's church. So, mm -hmm. uh, no, we've done it at their home too. So mm -hmm. yeah, we've done it once in their home, once in the church because we wanted to see the church too. So. Yeah, <laughs> and then we've done it here in the temple. Mm -hmm. I think one thing Rupa and I are really learning from these podcasts is like the religious community here specifically is so much more connected than you realize. But once yeah, you start, yeah. you know, talking and having these conversations, you realize. You guys all know each other. You guys, yeah. you guys have communicate. You guys connect, and I think that is so amazing to see because if you don't ask, you you wouldn't know. Yeah, you wouldn't know about these because the women interfaith. I start. I start. Uh, I joined a study group actually, which uh, Joe Easley, uh, and of course Kevin Rabbi. They all know uh -huh. Joe Easley too. And then Patty, they're all you know all of us like Gloria, you know Wendy. We all know Patty Easley, uh, so. Uh, you know, they, like, you know, so we kind of, yeah, we, we know each other and we, uh, and this, this group which you said that, you know, um, the Imam and, and Kevin Fleming and Rabbi and I think few other church, one church and now other churches have joined. Before it was just four of them. So they used to have services, like they would rotate, like one time in mosque, one time here, one time here. So they were rotating. So that sprung off of the UE group. Um, and then uh, they've continued, I hope, but with COVID, everything is kind of mm -hmm. hazy. And then Women Interfaith, we were meeting on Zoom still, you know, even with the COVID going on. And the we, I, other thing we do is we everybody brings a dish and we have dinner together in the Women Interfaith. So we have dinner together and we talk about all these issues and, you know, we, you know, we have ground rules like you can't be you know, uh, rude about things and we're going to amicably and nicely talk about things. And it's always gone very well. We've never had, like, you know, arguments and this and that. I mean, just these women are just wonderful. I'm so blessed <laughs> to have known them. That's wonderful. Yeah. That's wonderful. Um, well, those are all the questions we have. 
Thank you so much for having this conversation with us. This was incredibly insightful. And again, we are so grateful you're here. And we want to thank everyone for listening to the fourth episode of our religious podcast. Thank you.